0: and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. And it's time to bring the orange once again with two special guests today. Joe McKendrick from DBTA, an analyst and editor, uh, gosh, in your title, Joe, I have to have you go through that. There's so much there. You're doing so many things. And from the Pure Solutions team, Nihal Marashi, who's our database senior solutions manager. Uh, Joe, welcome to the program. It's been a long time I've known about you and read so many things that uh, that you do. Always super interesting. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at DBTA and and beyond.
1: Thanks, Rob. It, it's great to be here, uh, Nihal. Great to be joining you. Um, where do I start? I, uh, I've been a contributor to uh, DBTA, Database Trends and Applications, for uh, a number of years. I, I, I write regularly on uh, data topics, and that, that's morphed into all kinds of cool things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, Internet of Things, um, uh, open source, cloud, of course, a lot of great things, and, and that's that's my one of my primary activities. I also do research with Um, DBTA's parent organization, Information Today Inc., Unisphere Research. Uh, We've done a number of studies, I would say probably several thousand studies at this point. uh, Actually, maybe several hundred, but quite a few on where we survey user groups, database user groups such as the International Org. I I should say the independent Oracle user group on adoption trends, technology trends, what they're thinking, what what they're looking for, what they aspire to. Um, so we've I've done a lot of work in that area. And uh, I also am a contributor to Forbes. I uh, have a regular uh, contribution on focusing on cloud computing and digital transformation, as well as ZDNet, where I focus on a, a bit more technical on uh, things such as uh, microservices and uh, UX and uh, 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 platform as a service, cloud, all that good stuff. So yeah, it, it keeps me busy, it keeps me off the streets, you know.
0: You're the Renaissance data and technology man. I mean that's that's just a massive <laughs> a massive payload of things that you're covering. But around databases specifically, how, how did you do did you have a background in that space? like how did you get started just around database technologies and, and all that it's grown from?
1: Uh, you want the long version of the short version. <laughs> um, I, I used to be a director of a of an international management association, and uh, we did a lot of uh, work. A lot of our constituency were those managers who were working with technology. Um, just to date myself, at the time uh, there was uh, there was mainframes, there was Unix systems. Uh, a lot of this technology was coming into the enterprise, and essentially uh, taking on the the more Mundane task of uh, running a, an organization—you know the financials and the logistics and supply chain and human resources—and of course that has grown to become a major part of the strategy of organizations. Um, so that's kind of my background there, and I, I do a lot of work with surveys and of survey research. So I actually work with data. You know, I, I love working with data and and uh, looking at data, figuring out what's what trends are shaping the industry, what's shaping uh, the the way people work with each other, the way organizations are run. So that's, that's kind of my background uh, in a, in a, no, a brief 30 minute you, 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 you <laughs> description. You did the short version. I mean, you definitely did
0: not go to, I've, I've had other lengthy ones where people give us a five to seven minute resume. And I, I think everybody now has a good idea who you are and what you're about, which is the whole idea of the uh, the intro that we want to get across. And I do love the research, right? I mean, in my time here at Pure in three or four years, I have know we've commissioned a couple of different studies, but Uh, There's a number of us that actually go and and leverage your research and go and and look and make decisions based on, you know, what your very broad audience is bringing to the table. So, um, you know, Thank you for that. Hey, Nihal Marashi, welcome back. It's been a couple of years since you've been on the program and congratulations on your three year anniversary at Pure that just happened. I think the last time we had you on, we were getting sassy talking about Pure solutions in the SaaS space. And uh, now we've got you looking after our, our database solutions and
2: architectures. Great to have you back, man. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, indeed, it's been been a while. Uh, Really excited to be here uh, and uh, really want to say that I've had a fantastic uh, three years at Pure, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation with Joe. It's always a pleasure working with Joe on on these different different projects.
0: Yeah, we have so many different directions we can go today, and so I hope we get people and get them hooked in. I mean, we're really looking at the, the changing database landscape, right, and you look back, And, you know, Joe, you kind of alluded to that. I think a lot of us date ourselves when I, when I have guests on this podcast and we start talking about, you know, Unix operating systems and tape archives and mainframes and COBOL and whatnot. But, um, I think it is important to kind of take a look back, right. And, and what Joe characterized that database landscape that you talked about. I mean, it was largely monolithic. There were tons of players right? Tons and tons of players that all got kind of consolidated and gobbled up by the big guys, you know, Oracle acquires people and other technologies just, you know, get, get, um, you know, sucked into the board, but what, what characterizes maybe the eighties and kind of into the nineties for you? What, what are some of the facets of the database landscape?
1: Well, uh, let me give you a little, uh, a story. I, I once, um, I'm outside of Philadelphia and, uh, I'd say about 20, 25 years ago, I, I got a tour of a, a disaster recovery center that was located in what was a former tank factory. Uh, in World War II, this is a, 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 in the middle of Philadelphia, there was this factory that made tanks. So you can imagine it was well fortified with that steel, there's a steel beam structure. And I got a tour of it. It was converted into a disaster recovery center. And um, at that time, the world of disaster recovery, recovering the data, recovering the applications, you know, in case of a, a, a adverse event on your enterprise, yeah. meant shipping all your tapes, taking all your tapes with your data, and shipping it down to this disaster recovery center. Then spending maybe one, two, three days, even a week, hanging around there. They had cots and they had sleeping quarters and all this other cool stuff, but hanging around there so that your data is is restored from those tapes. To the the replicated uh, mainframes and uh, VAXes and uh, IBM uh, mainframes and so forth uh, within the recovery center. So it, it was a it wasn't instantaneous. It was it was a long arduous process to um, to to get your data back and to get everything up and running in your organization. And that kind of illustrates where we're at now because now it's instant instantaneous. You know, with with the cloud with cloud services um, uh, on site. Uh, uh, replication, uh, all that good stuff. Your data, your your business is instantly recoverable, instantly available. And you know, even even AWS, you know, as as huge and efficient and uh, uh, well run, they they are. They they, could, they get glitches now and then. And uh, you know they you know your, your business might go down for a couple hours. But if you have a strategy, if you have a way that your data is available to your users in some form. Um, that makes a difference. And, and that's a big difference. That's that's a huge evolution I've seen over the past uh, 20, 25 years.
0: Yeah, it's really. I mean, we, there's all sorts of studies out around the cost of downtime, and and they seem to always have much larger numbers every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think there's a realization that that having data available and accessible to users, not just in in case of a disaster, but there's other reasons to need to do restores and and whatnot. But that that's just table stakes now, right? It's just mm-hmm. expected that data that that runs in in the database landscape is going to be made available to end users who are relying upon it, whether it's for development purposes or even end users. I mean, we can extend it all the way out to the stack to, you know, if if you go to a website and you're trying to transact and and things aren't working, how long do you sit around and wait, right? You go somewhere else. You you don't have any patience any longer to do that. So you make a really good point that the technology has evolved to where things need to be instantaneous, right? And it's really, let's, let's go ahead and throw it out there. It's the whole digital transformation and and digital journey, right? We even did a study here at Unisphere. You know, we queried database managers,
1: database managers, managers themselves, and we asked them for their perspective as consumers. If you're at a website, an e-commerce site, and the site goes down, how long will you uh, tolerate before you switch to another site? And, th- and they, the average was uh you know about uh, seven to ten seconds. You know, uh, and these are people that understand what goes on behind the scenes. They understand what could go wrong. Even even the, these folks, you know, they'll switch. They'll switch to another uh, commerce uh, site. In the event of a you know a, a lag or a, a glitch or anything else going on.
0: Yeah. So it's not just availability. It's also response time, right? I mean, it's making sure that you can serve up what's needed um, in, in real time. Um, Nihal, I want to shift over to you. One of the other interesting trends that we've been tracking here at Pure and just in kind of general, right? I think everybody's really familiar with, with the big, large monolithic databases, the the traditional relational databases that have been around, but um, you know, the last five, five or 10 years, and maybe even beyond have barely been marked by the, the rise of these sort of open source alternatives, which, you know, maybe serve different purposes, although we're seeing things, you know, being run more and more in production now, whereas maybe they were just, you know, developmental types of vehicles in, in what you've been looking at over the last year or two, what, why do you think real, uh, open source database alternatives have become more popular What are a couple takeaways there?
2: Yeah, uh, I think yeah, you really t- touched on it uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, open source databases have been on the scene for a number of years, and in the past uh, they were more f- used in development test uh, environments or more like website backend projects. Um, but in the recent years, what we've seen is this adoption of uh, open source uh, databases uh, in mission critical production environments, uh, and it's it's really uh, what uh, what's interesting is. Uh, This adoption is pretty widespread uh, across all kinds of industries and all types of businesses. So you're uh, you know, you uh, you mentioned my SaaS background, so it's very it's just as common to uh, see an open source database in a SaaS provider that's trying to stay uh, ahead of the curve, as it is common to see it in a traditional enterprise like a financial services or even organizational organizations that are uh, tied to the educational uh, industry. So I think I think it's um, certainly. Come a long way it's gone mainstream and I think the the fact that uh, some of these open source databases are scalable the fact that uh you know um, they're cheaper in terms of uh, licensing although we'll we'll talk about that some more later on mm-hmm. um, and and the fact that uh you know um, they they are um, you know, we're well suited for dealing with uh, unstructured data. All, all of these factors have helped with uh, with the uh, adoption of these. And I think these open source databases are here to stay and they're mainstream.
0: Yeah, and continuing to grow as we've been looking at our data. But I think you make a really good point there. I think it's a time to market thing. You know, when I, I I, there was a marketing set of marketing events where I was hosting a panel, and and I had CIOs in the room for forty-five minutes, and frequently we would get onto this type of subject, right? Which was the 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 distinction between the, the database types and. You know to a T, they all said, you know, we, we leverage these open source databases because the time to market is much faster, right? We can go, you know, for new projects that we're exploring or experimenting with, you know, we go pull these down, and they're certainly not free, right? You make that point, Correct. right? There's <laughs> the whole free like beer versus free like a puppy kind of thing, right? So they're certainly not free, but they're definitely more lightweight or flexible or now fit into other use cases. And then what we see sometimes is over time, you know, you, you'll morph into some of the more traditional. Um, traditional types of things. Well, um good insights there. Uh, let's shift more to what's going on now and maybe looking out a little bit more into the future. And Joe, I'll I'll kick the ball back to you. Um, what are those, what are those big trends that you see out there? You know, there are like two or three things that if you're a DBA or even a data professional, let's expand it more to the data professionals that are out there and, and maybe even, you know, including open source, but also relational, what are the trends that are impacting operations today that you see? Sure. Sure. And, you know,
1: just a word about open source. I mean, if you're familiar with the work of Clayton Christensen, um, Harvard, he he passed away about a year ago. He wrote some great, he had some great uh, a book and some great work on the topic. And when he talks about disruption, disruption is, is, is coming into a market and, and serving underserved or, uh, unserved marketplaces, and I think open source is a classic example of that. Open source came in and uh, provided uh, essential uh, requirements, essential, or I should say, essential uh, functionality to those who couldn't afford the big databases, you know, the Oracles and uh, DB2s, and uh, those parts of organizations, maybe you're in a large organization, and you know, it, it's too onerous of a process to... To acquire the budget to, to buy additional licensings from the big core, the big database vendors. Um, so you have these open source databases you could quickly implement and do your uh, your, your building, your your experimentation, and so forth. So I, I think it's very disruptive. Open source has been one of the most disruptive um, uh, factors and one of the forces in our time. Um and, and looking forward uh, into the future, you know, what are the top trends? You know. We're seeing convergence between databases, machine learning technologies. Uh, these are all going to the modern application, and you know it's it's providing businesses the capability to deploy and continuously improve applications at a much much faster rate than previously um, available. Um, we're seeing. Uh, more business engagement, uh, you know, a database, the database folks aren't sitting in a silo or aren't sitting off to one side of the organization and the business people over here, you know, getting a report now and then, um, there's much greater engagement and business people are working with directly with the data, you know, through interactive dashboards, for example, that help with their business decisions. And, uh, That requires, uh, you know, and we're seeing signs of this, it requires requires changing your data culture, you know, Uh, advanced analytics is becoming a core business uh, capability, a core business differentiator. Um, You know, uh, Pure, uh, for example, uh, sponsored a study that that, uh, looked at these changes, you know, organizations that have the mature analytics investments you know, definitely outperform their peers across many, many areas, you know, uh, of the business, you know, in terms of revenue growth and customer satisfaction, um, you know, having this analytical capability competing on analytics uh, as Thomas Davenport defined it uh, several years ago is making a difference. It's real and it's here. Um, and we're seeing uh, next generation. We're seeing also next generation platforms that are augmenting these traditional data platforms. Uh, you know, self-service types of capabilities, and it's driving data democratization. Meaning, again, it's available to everybody, business users. Uh, you know, it's they don't have to re- wait for a report coming out of IT or from the uh, data management department. the The information is available to them. available It's available immediately uh, through these interactive dashboards, through these uh, self-service types of applications. Uh, it's we're truly seeing uh, uh, agility. Mm-hmm. And uh, another area, uh, and this is very important, uh, you know, if, I'm sure everybody's heard of DevOps, um, you know, where you have the development teams working closely with the operations teams and to kind of coordinate and and help with this continuous delivery of software. And we're having a, you know, a, something, uh, a related uh, uh, discipline, if you will, is is data ops. Um, and that's ensuring the flow of data across the organization. I mean, this is uh, ensuring the... Uh, the automation and and demo, democratization of analytics across the organization, um, you know, businesses are under pressure to extract more from the data they own in order to be more competitive and and to drive growth and so forth. This is this is uh, important to the business, and the data has to work harder. You know, they have to they have to get the insights fast, and uh, and uh, the, and the data has to be. Uh, have integrity, it needs to be resilient, uh, you know, it needs to be automated. And and data ops makes this possible. You know, it, it opens the path to delivering data through the enterprise that's just needed while maintaining its viability and and quality. Um, and we, uh, we have some, you know, we've done some research and other folks have done some research and we found in our own surveys, 42% of companies now are working on data ops or DevOps. We we lump that into one category in this yeah. case. Forty-two percent, four out of ten, are working to to main to be able to support a continuous flow of applications and data um, through the organization. And another group, four five one research, also finds seventy-two uh, percent of companies uh, are interested in in data ops and are working toward that. So it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely uh, an important. Uh, uh, methodology that's making it possible to to move data through the organization and have it deliver uh, and and build this analytics-driven culture that everybody wants.
0: Yeah, and that's really key, right? Because I mean, for, for a number of years, and this particularly kind of goes back to what we do on the FlashBlade side of the business, we've always looked at you know, data silos, right? And you, you can't really democratize data if people can't get to it. So it is great to hear that some of these dashboards and tools are really effectively making, you know, data pipelines a reality. I think everybody's been talking about data pipelines for, for a number of years and um and, and you can't do that if, if there's not ways to go in and sift the data and, and also to figure yeah. out what's important and what's not, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, internet of things and some of the things that happen out at the edge, you're capturing tons and tons of data, but what's really worthwhile, right? What do you actually want to work with and what other things can you just shove aside or just kind of, you know, particularly if you're using the cloud where it gets extremely expensive um, to to put everything up there. So I I love what you're talking about with democratization.
1: Exactly. And, and when we talk about that, I think data should be accessible via an app. I mean, it, it should be so simple for business users to just, uh, Pull up their iPhone, you know, or their or, or their Samsung or whatever they may have, and and get to the data they need through a simple app. Why can't it be that simple to get the data you need? You know, you why you know business users shouldn't have to be involved with building uh, SQL queries and uh, you know structuring uh yeah you know, <laughs> you know uh, queries or or having to go turn to their IT department to help them to just uh, generate a report or to alter a report. You know, it should be. Right there, it should be simple. It should be right there on the app, and that's something to strive for.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's a, it's a good aspiration. Um, Nihal, let's let's build on what Joe talked a little bit about, sort of the analytics, and and you mentioned about some of the databases and open source being kind of primed for unstructured. Um, how are those being built out? Like where where do you see the the typical use cases for some of the unstructured data types and some of these analytics models that that Joe's talking about?
2: Yeah, so I, I think uh, Joe touched upon um, the the fact uh, you know analytics is huge. I think it's really coming down to being able to provide real time decisions. So we're we're seeing the use of these open source databases in a variety of industries, a variety of use cases. Uh, whether it's uh, you know financial firms using it for fraud detection, that's a very common example where you know you might have uh, you know we we hear about. Uh, financial firms that have built their own fraud detection systems. and At the back end, they use uh, open source databases because ultimately, wherever you have uh, huge uh, 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 growth in data volumes, and a lot of it is unstructured, but you need to actually make sense of the data and be able to drive real-time business decisions. Um, this is a very common uh, use case for for open source databases, and I think anywhere um, it's uh, you know I gave you the example of fraud detection, but if you expand that to other industries where you you have to make these kind of uh, real time business decisions, uh, you would you would use these open source databases. Now, one, one thing I'd like to point out uh, is it's not like the commercial databases are going away uh, mm-hmm. anytime soon, and I think Joe would agree with to the fact that you know, most uh, companies would have a mixture of open source databases and commercial databases. And it really boils down to the specific use case, the specific environment, you know, what are the kind of the key goals uh, for that particular project? And, and what's the scalability requirement? What are the features required? You know, what's the, how big is the user base? So uh, I'm, I'm sure in a lot of, uh, you know, our customers tell us this and I'm sure this true for the listeners of this podcast that you, you would have a mixture of uh, you know, diverse workloads and you, for some, some of these workloads, you need uh, traditional commercial databases. For others, you might need open source databases and in some cases you need a combination of both. So um, it's important to point out that those commercial databases are here to stay.
0: Yeah, by all means, right. And it's the old adage of of the right tool for the right job, which makes sense. But I know, you know, from some slideware that I, I created at one point in the last year or two, I was going through some research studies and you know something crazy like 92% of organizations have at least two different database types and then if you yep. go to you know or, or no have at least yeah and uh, and then something like 85% have at least three or four right i mean there's there's a myriad of different options that are there but right right tool for the right job um, I also like the point that that you both have made around even with the rise of all this unstructured data and analytics and and things that are, you know, that are constantly scanning and analyzing, you still need people, right? You still need people to interpret um, what is what is going on out there. And so while automation may be seen as a threat by some, you know, we've talked about this in other pods and some blogs we've done. Um, automation, I think, it, you know, equates more to more to opportunity but you're not going to get there without infrastructure joe what happens if the back-end infrastructure is is not up to snuff and and i know you joke and and say that people like to blame the server blame the network but isn't it usually storage right when it comes down to it
1: oh my gosh yeah i mean without the infrastructure without the storage you have nothing i mean there's nothing uh in fact I just uh, I, I did a, a webcast just a week ago with uh, John Mosh over at uh, Cisco, and he points out that the first hire when you're when you're building this this real time analytics enterprise this team your first hire should not be a data scientist or data analyst that should be later your first hire should be a data engineer and a DBA um, because you need these people to maintain the infrastructure to maintain the data to 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 identify. And cleanse the data um, to 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 uh, to bring that to bring that in to add value to your organization. Uh, the data scientists don't want to get involved with with that stuff. You know, the data scientists don't want to be DBAs. They don't want to be data engineers. You know, they just want to fiddle around with the data and, and see what the business wants and uh, you know do their uh, <laughs> you know do, do the research and. Uh, uh, but you need those people working. You know, maybe behind the scenes. I guess you could could say it's kind of behind the scenes, but. You need those teams of uh, data engineers, of, of DBAs, um, to to uh, to work with the uh, the ETL, the, the APIs, the data warehouses. Uh, the data lakes, uh, or now the, the the data lake houses, or whatever you want to call
0: it, uh, <laughs> great term. Huh? Those are the fancy. Those are the fancy data lakes. The lake house. <laughs> the lake house yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a little bit high end, you know. You pay more of a premium, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: No, I love it. It's a, it's a great term, and um, you know, and I think what we're seeing right now, and 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 actually, we're you know, we're in our accelerate event season, and we're actually doing a live event. I think by the time we publish this, it may be done. But, you know, there's a session that we're doing next week, a live session that's kind of like called the, you know, the, the DBAs and it admins of the future, the Swiss army knives of the data center. Everybody's becoming more of a generalist. Everybody's being able to take on, you know, new and different skills. Now there's always going to be that subset of people that are going to be happy, you know, messing with indexes and doing the things they've always done. But I think a majority of people are looking for what's next. They're self-actualized. They want to go out and invest in, you know, in, in new sets but we also need to make sure that there's hardware there to, to help them do their jobs. Nihal, where, where does uh, infrastructure fall down in, in delivering consistent database operations? Like what are, the, what are the common themes that you've been noticing as you've been working in this space?
2: Yeah, let me let me let me start off with a little bit of a big picture. I think you touched upon digital transformation that's yeah. happening in, in a lot of companies and especially with the events of last year, um, those those kind of initiatives have uh, accelerated uh, substantially. And also uh, we know that more and more people have been working from home and using applications from home. And lastly, we've touched upon um, this data explosion, right? I, I, there are some statistics that suggest like uh, more data has been created in the past two years than the entire previous history of the human race. So you can, you can just get that extent of, you can, uh, of uh, data explosion so now with this uh, with this backdrop what it really means is uh, there's that increased focus on application performance i think joe touched upon the fact that the user experience has to be seamless and also you, you no one likes downtime right so yeah. business continuity mm-hmm. is the, the other aspect to it and so um, Uh, In in this context, certainly the NoSQL databases have been pretty good at uh, scaling um, that is required for the the infrastructure and and also the fact that a lot of these organizations are trying to deliver quality software in a consistent and rapid uh, way, which means that their developers and the, the DevTest environments have to be able to match up or work off production data in order to be able to fix issues pretty quickly and also be able to deliver those uh, uh, quality releases uh, and have a good time to market. So that's really the backdrop, but what does that really mean for the database operations, which was the question you asked, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Essentially, uh, when you have... Um uh, traditional or legacy storage systems that cannot really scale or cannot match the m- needs of the modern infrastructure, that's where you uh, you know, a lot of the um, infrastructure teams and the database teams are going to struggle. You know, usually what we hear is that uh, these traditional storage systems are you know prone to disruptions, they're very complex to manage. Um, scalability is an issue. and all of this kind of leads to an administrative overhead. And uh, earlier on in this podcast, we talked uh, briefly about automation and there's orchestration and the fact that now we're moving to infrastructure as, as code and software based tools. So when you when you talk about these legacy storage systems, they don't really have good integration with uh, all of these. So what it really boils down to is an opportunity for organizations and, and uh, infrastructure managers and database uh, uh, administrators and data professionals in general to evaluate if their storage solution is really up to the task of modernization and digital transformation that, uh, companies, have take, that the companies have taken.
0: Yeah, which has been massively accelerated, as we know, in the last uh, 14 months. And I think, um, thanks for that, Nihal. And I appreciate you did the backdrop around the, the digital transformation and kind of the bigger picture that really helps provide some some good context. but. Um, I can't believe we've gone however minutes we have without the word cloud coming up in this podcast. <laughs> so let's go ahead and highlight the elephant in the room. And I don't even like cloud. I, you know, I was I was doing a podcast with Cause, one of our founders, and we got onto a subject of cloud, and I said, I like talking about as a service. And he's like, Yeah, absolutely. I I like that term better. So, you know, as a service deployment and and cloud for databases, I, I don't think it's a new thing, you know, Joe. I think you know, I was working six or seven or eight years ago with some of the large financial institutions, helping them build out kind of internal private cloud dbas you know, the kind of models where users can go and they can spin up an instance and, and, you know, within minutes, as opposed to the multiple hours or days it takes to get hardware, deploy bare metal, whatever. Um, but how and where is cloud playing now? I think it's it's very much known that, that hybrid cloud is the way to go, like 100%. In certain circumstances, sure, for certain workloads, maybe it's DR, maybe it's test dev. But what are those things that you've seen in your research and talking with clients about where cloud makes sense? Uh, and where is it potentially not advised? where where are the where are the drawbacks or the challenges with that?
1: Wow. Well, um yeah, we find in our research uh, majority of our our um, the data managers we speak to, uh, you know it's it's not hundred percent, but it's maybe about fifty one percent or so. I saw in our our most recent study that have data, have some measure of data actually in the cloud. and mm-hmm. And maybe another quarter or one third actually are, are intend to move in this direction. And, you know, so it's been actually a, a little bit of a slow going in the cloud. Not, it's not like everybody's all jumping in at once. Yeah. Um, and uh, we find uh, experience with the cloud. A lot of our managers, a lot of the data managers we spoke to don't have a lot of experience. They have to most have maybe two years or less experience with actually managing their enterprise data in the cloud. And I think what it, I think one of the issues, one of the, one of the uh, perceptions of cloud, is that you hand everything over to your cloud provider, you know, AWS or uh, Microsoft Azure or, uh, or whoever, and uh, you know they take care of everything, and you don't have to worry about anything. That's not the case at all. You know, you're actually essentially you're, you're replatforming your data. You know, you're, you're you're moving your database maybe out of your data center off your you know, out of your storage array and connected to a mainframe or whatever, and, and you're putting it out there, but you still need you, need, you 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 know, you still, the onus of security is still on you. And you still need to worry about the security. You need to worry about the performance. Um, that's still things you have to worry about. And we need people who who can manage that, even if it's the data has to be somewhere else and, or, or uh, uh, reside in some other location. You know, that issue is not going to go away. You know, data security is, is always going to be the, challenge of the owner of the data, the enterprise that owns the data. You know, you can't outsource security. You can't hand it off to a cloud provider. Um, and that's that's very important. Um, and a cloud provider isn't gonna boost your business in any way. You know, they provide the service, they bill you monthly or per megabyte or whatever the, the formula is, and, uh, and that's that. You know, leveraging the data, figuring out how to, how to move the data through enterprise, move it to decision makers is still your responsibility. And we need people who understand that and can move that forward.
0: Um, yeah, no good insights and, and really, uh, you know, insightful around that. You're just kind of using somebody else's computers, all the same tasks that all the same tasks that you were undertaking internally. And maybe there's economies of scale, right? I mean, that is one thing that you're effectively trying to take advantage of is is getting rid of the day zero day one day two types of things of you know deploying hardware and and depreciating it over time and, and that's one of the reasons i think you know hosting providers have have been rising in popularity or managed service providers you know the msps that are out there or or even system integrators right gsis those are all ways to sort of shift some of the tech debt and some of of the burden there um, one of the other interesting trends that we see, and there's a lot more articles in the last three or four years, is around repatriation, right? Because I think mm-hmm. uh, IT leaders charged off five or ten years ago and said, you know, we have a 100% cloud mandate, and then, you know, kind of kind of like the Roach Motel got stuck and couldn't get out. Nihal, um, what, what have you seen? Any insights in your in your findings or research around repatriation and you know, is that a trend that's, that's increasing or is it stable or is it just based on the use case relative to things coming, you know, back out of cloud? What are those use cases?
2: Yeah. So a very interesting question, you know, with the, uh, since last year, I think uh, a lot of the uh, organizations globally were trying to manage an increased workload. And so there was that large uptick in cloud adoption and use, but now these, these companies are taking a step back and, evaluating their needs. And what, what we hear all the time from these organizations is that they feel like they might have over-rotated towards a cloud, and so they need to now rebalance their usage uh, and go, you know, go with more of a hybrid model because of uh, cost pressures. And these cost pressures have led to evaluating the workloads that would be best suited for on-premise and kind of repatriating those uh, workloads uh, on-premise. In fact, uh, Rod, there was a recent survey of IT executives um, that Pure conducted with the help of Spiceworks' uh, Ziff Davis. And what that survey actually showed is that cost efficiency is a top reason for for companies to keep certain uh, workloads Mm on-prem. And so I would say like the... Uh, we're seeing this trend uh, of data repatriation to, you know, on-premise uh, become more common. I think um, cost, uh, when it comes to cost, there's also the egress charges that the cloud pro- providers charge, and that that's always been a major sticking point or a major pain point for cloud deployments.
1: Yeah, yeah sticker was, shock, uh, sticker yeah. shock. I mean, that, that I, we're seeing that all over the place. Uh, sticker shock at the cloud cost. and uh, you know, uh, of course, cloud companies they will help you meter uh, usage, but, um, there's still, uh, there's so many companies that have different divisions, different parts of the enterprise that are subscribing to the cloud, you know, sometimes under the radar or, or you know, unknown to it and the, the bill comes in the next month and, uh, Whoa, you know, what's going on here. Right. And then you have all these unused applications that you may be paying for every month that, you know, uh, haven't, aren't being tracked, aren't being me- measured and monitored. Um, it's, it's very much, it's very much an issue. And I think, you know, initially everybody's talking about how cloud, you know, you reduce your, uh, you, know, you, you reduce your capex you know you go to opex and uh, you know you just pay a, a monthly subscription fee you know for individuals such as myself you know paying a monthly fee to someone to a SaaS service you know 20 bucks or whatever that's wonderful but enterprises end up paying out know, millions of dollars per month even uh at this point um, which you know kind of erases any cost benefit from uh, making that initial investment in servers and and hardware and and uh storage arrays or whatever what the case may be yeah. Um, so that you know the business case is something else. It's it's companies have found out that it's not cost savings.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, no, it's it's definitely. It was it was very hammered home, and that you know four or five years ago before Pure, but you know was that a partner show that I was at, and I think it was Oracle related, and they had a guest IT speaker that was from that region. And he got up and he talked about the notion of of shadow IT, right? So he he knew what he had budgeted for cloud services, right? And that was in his budget for the year, and they were tracking onto it. And every month or every quarter, there were a whole bunch of charges that were done on credit cards, that kept hitting his department, hitting his line item, because you had a bunch of individuals out there in IT who were just going, oh, well, I need to go, I need to spin something up in the cloud. And no, I'm not gonna do a PO for this. I'm just gonna put it on my corporate credit card and use these services. And he went, I I have to get a handle on all the, you know, it needs to be centralized. I need to have an understanding of that, but it also hammered home the need to have a really coherent strategy. I think that's the outcome mm-hmm. of what you both chimed in here with which, which is analyze your workloads, know what the apps are, know what the databases are doing and make a determination about how and where you want to leverage them, where, those data, where the data needs to be, is there data locality, is there data sovereignty issues, certainly security, Joe, that, that you pointed out. And uh, and those are all really really good um, considerations. Well, let's let's close, Joe, because you do have a whole bunch of, of data professionals in your community that you uh, that you talk with, you do research on, and maybe some of them are out there going, "What should I invest in? Like, where should I go for my skill sets?" And let's assume they're the self actualized ones that you know are looking ahead in their career for the next two years, five years, ten years what are the top two or three areas that you think they should go invest in order to stay relevant, current, and valuable to their organizations?
1: Well, um, uh, Nihal and I had uh, uh, done an, uh, a, 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 I guess you could call it a print <laughs> interview, um, and where we talked about the five habits. I talked about the five yeah. habits of effective data managers. And I'll just go over what they are. Sure. Uh, number one, embrace automation. You know, uh, uh, businesses are relying on IT departments to drive agility and innovation, but for DBAs, uh, you know, you need to keep things running smoothly and uh, keeping up with what the business wants. Um, you know, so DBAs need to fully embrace automation and become stewards of how that automation plays out uh, when it comes to the routine day-to-day tasks that may take up their time. Um, they, you know, hand them mundane stuff. You know, r- you know, uh, rows and columns, maintaining t- maintaining tables, and even some security. You know, hand that over to uh, the robots. You know, and uh, focus on what's valuable to the business. You know, make you know, become a consultant to the business. You know, embracing cloud uh, number two. Embracing cloud. You know, we've been talking about that. Uh, um, you know, ag- again, uh, by embracing cloud, uh, you uh, you you know, you as we said, we're not necessarily <laughs> cutting costs, but you're handing over a lot of uh, again, a lot of these more mundane tasks, these uh, these worries that you may have over to the cloud provider, you know, you're, and you're able to, again, move up the value chain in your organization. You can, you can play more of a consultant role, uh, kind of a, even a broker role, uh, to your organization. You know, you, you know, you know, you have the tech resources, you know, who, who the providers are, what the company needs, and they're bringing that provider to, uh, provide those services. Um, collaboration, the, the third point, the third effective habit, uh, being able to collaborate and, and work remotely, uh, you know, uh, Perhaps the past year has, has uh, resulted in more folks uh, you know working remotely, working uh, on their own and not collaborating as much as they want to. You know uh, you know things like Zoom can really be tiring after a while. But this is going to be key, uh, being able to work with the business very closely with the business. you know uh, data analytics, uh, d- building this analytic organization is a team effort and and it, it should be one uh, seamless type of team. you know you, you don't want you don't want to have database, The data administrators, the data managers, the data engineers on one side, and the data scientists on another side, and the business on uh, still in another silo. You know, you want everybody working together as a team. Data ops can, of course, support this process. Uh, Another fact of effective habit, uh, uh, another habit of effective DBA or a data manager, I should say, is to to embrace embrace digital transformation. Um, You know, this is the future. This is where organizations have been going. We saw that. Very much so over the past year, and uh, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're emerging from the COVID crisis. You know, and uh, you know, and but things aren't going to slow down with digital transformation. The process is only accelerated, and data is at the core of that. You know, it's it's all about data. You don't have digital transformation without data. And guess who has to maintain? Guess who provides and makes make sure that data is viable and timely and effective? You know, it's the data managers. Um, you know, so your organizations are really leaning on you, um, Mr. or Ms. DBA, to uh, deliver this capability. Um, and 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 finally, uh, an effective DBA, an effective data manager, can embrace system diversity. You know, we have a lot of different data. Uh, Rob, you mentioned that uh, most organizations now have three or four database brands uh, under their roofs, and uh, uh, there's a lot of different uh, systems to uh, to uh, to manage, uh, but but that's that's probably a good thing. You know, there's a lot of uh, choice out there um, for whatever workload or whatever type of application you want to develop. You know, there's uh, the big database providers. There's there's the the the, the open source database providers. Uh, there's cloud databases. Um, there's a lot of uh, choices out there, and uh, you know these can be all brought in to provide a, a well functioning organization. So. Those are the uh, those are some of the
0: uh, my suggestions for moving forward into this new era like you could write a book on those that the five effective habits of uh you know borrowing the stephen covey kind of thing right yeah and exactly five effective <laughs> habits but no you sum it up right i mean if i sum it it's like embrace diversify and collaborate and those are all great things for um for for people to think about and they all dovetail nicely with the uh, the themes that we've been that we've been talking about so thanks for that uh nihal you get the final word here um and and this is where i'd love for you to just talk a little bit about what you see related everything we've talked about how pure plays really well into delivering much easier and intuitive database operations. Like what are those things that you think really stand out um, that build upon, you know, Joe's five habits there, where, where do we connect in with, with those things around automation and collaboration and and embracing cloud?
2: Yeah, uh, Rob, ultimately it, comes down to delivering outcomes, right? And, you know, uh, Pure has a modern data uh, experience and what it is uh, is about helping customers deliver business breakthroughs. And so when, when we are talking about database operations and what really Pure can do for uh, the data professional, uh, the DBAs, it, I, I, would, I see it in four different ways that we can help them. So the first thing is around optimizing database operations. So the pure flash arrays can speed up database operations with really low latency, and this in turn has uh, is helping them provide that high application performance. Right? We've we've talked about application performance earlier in the podcast, and that awesome user experience that that customers uh, you know and their end users expect. So we can really do that. There's the other aspect to it, which is essentially reducing the time and cost for common database activities, uh, whether it's cloning or copying or refresh, and then being able to provide a quick provisioning of those data copies for dev test environments. And so that's really um, going back to the topic of DevOps and and being able to deliver uh, rapid re- releases. And um, the best part is it is around the fact that uh, Pure provides embedded uh, data reduction capabilities, which is minimizing both the data needs as well as, uh, sorry, the capacity needs and and also the uh, capacity costs. So that that's one one aspect to it. The other aspect is around simplicity. We mm-hmm. talked about how you know complex these traditional storage systems can be. You know, Pure uh, solutions are easy to set up and smart enough to manage themselves. So it uh, reduces the, the overhead and, and risk. And so you can also right-size the capacity allocation for your storage for your database. Um, and it uh, avoids the common problems of whether you're over-provisioning or under-provisioning your storage system. And so simplicity is really, really important as a simplicity in, when it comes to managing system. Now, the third thing I would wanna say is around scalability and uninterrupted uh, uptime. So, um, you know, uh, Pure's solutions are very scalable, uh, and when it comes to data protection, we have a number of options uh, that can kind of combine to help limit downtime data loss and risk, whether it is instant snapshot copies or synchronous replication with active cluster and replication resiliency for rapid restore, uh, you know, backup and recovery. All of this is important. And then there's also the uh, active uh, DR and the continuous replication that provides like near zero uh, RPO, which is very critical uh, for most, uh, most companies. And last but not the least, we've we've touched upon cloud a number of times, and wanted to obviously mention that we we have a really great solution uh, when it comes to cloud, and it's a, it really boils down to building an application once and helping our customers build that application once, but use it seamlessly or run it seamlessly on on premise or in the in the cloud. And so, um, Pure's focus there is on around data mobility across clouds and being able to support the deployment technologies, uh, you know, like containers, which are become very, very common and uh, you know critical for application modernization. And of course, um, Pure also provides APIs and orchestration capabilities and ongoing updates. So um, all of this really comes to an investment, helping customers realize that their investment in storage is just as agile as, the, as a business. And um, so I would say we, we add a lot of value for database operations in these ways.
0: Yeah, you encapsulate that really well. That was a, a really good description, I think, of of you know some of the benefits there. And the fun part is we kind of do this every day, and we've been doing it for years, right? And it, 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 I, there's nothing that tickles me more than you know reading a, a report of a customer sending in details of of their deployment on a win report, maybe, and and just seeing some of those metrics come out. Nihal, that you mentioned around you know data reduction, or you know we no longer have to take downtime or an outage when we have to upgrade something because of evergreen and uh and the outcomes that that provides as you said it's it's all about the experience and the outcomes and uh, and that's something that we are very proud of well gents we have uh, we've gone quite a while here so we'll use that as a good jumping off point and before we close i'll give you a chance to plug something joe anything that you want to plug out there any cool blogs recently or just a place where people can come and read more about you or read some of the things that you are writing or have written
1: of course, go to dbta.com and uh, you can read all my uh, work uh, related to uh, what's happening in the data environment. Uh, it's a real—it's—I it, you know, tell you, the past uh, five years, it—it's it, been amazing the changes, the the, the shift we've seen um, with uh with in the data world. You know, uh, it, previously it was it was all about reporting, for example, you know about putting together the reports. Now it's about running a real-time enterprise. It's about uh, being able to uh, serve your customers and serve your customers uh, very effectively and uh, responsibly and in a very timely, sometimes real-time manner. Um, so, uh, you know, be sure to check out DBTA, and we cover uh, special features every month uh, on different parts of the the data market and uh, what's shaping it, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, expertise, uh, a lot of uh, columnists and writers uh, on the site who are, you know, really uh, – Addressing some good things, you know, from DBA, from being an effective DBA from a technical sense to, to being
0: an effective uh, CIO. Yeah, it was a great mix of of business and technical. So make sure everybody to check that out. And uh, Nihal, where do you want to send folks to find out more about what Pure does in the database solution space?
2: Yeah, I would uh, encourage everyone to check out our uh, Accelerate Apps uh, uh, landing page. We have great content there. If you're particularly interested in open source databases, uh, be sure to check out uh, purestorage.com open source. And um, uh, I would also encourage you to check out the blog that uh, Joe and I have been collaborating on. It's a, it's a series. Uh, we call it State of Data Management, which is uh, available on blog.purestorage.com. And last but not the least, um, would encourage you To sign up for uh, Pure Accelerate, that is uh, ongoing right now, and if you, you know, we have uh, the week of May 31st, which will have a lot of uh, um, presentations on business apps. And if you miss, uh, if uh, if you miss that, don't don't uh, worry. We will have uh, we'll have on demand uh, videos of that. So be be sure to check that out.
0: Yes, indeed, Accelerate is always on. Some might even say it's the evergreen event. Uh, It is going to keep going and keep going. And for goodness, it'll be like a catalog, like a uh, streaming video experience for folks. So definitely get over to Accelerate. Joe Nihal, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for the time. We covered so much ground and hopefully everybody out there, you find this really valuable. Keep the comments and feedback coming in about the Pure Report and then we will keep bringing out great guests like Joe and nihal and with that we will wrap for pure storage joe mckendrick and nihal Mirashi. this is rob ludeman saying don't look back something might be gaining on you (laughs) thanks rob thanks rob